The Hinterkaifeck farm murders are truly frightful and remain unexplained over 100 years after they occurred. As well as the brutal slaying of six people, there were hints of paranormal activity taking place and even the speculation of a jilted lover seemingly returning from the dead. Tonight we look at a chilling case that combines true crime and the paranormal. I'm Peter Laws and this is The Ghost Farm Murders on Frightful. These unsettling events unfolded in early 1922 at the Hinterkaifeck farm located in the alpine woods of the German state of Bavaria. That's just outside the town of Gruben. The farm was home to the Gruber family, 63-year-old Andreas Gruber and his 72-year-old wife, Kazilla Gruber, as well as their 35-year-old widowed daughter, Victoria Gabriel, and her children, 7-year-old Kazilia and 2-year-old Joseph. As opposed to being a happy family, however, they lived a very different existence. It was known, for example, that Andreas regularly beat both his wife and his daughter. And even worse, there were rumors of him having an incestuous relationship with Victoria, with the pair even convicted of such a charge several years before the murders. Victoria's husband, Carl Gabriel, was killed in the First World War, although his body was never found. This could be of importance as we return to Carl Gabriel a little later. In the years following his death, Victoria wished to marry again to a neighbor of the family named Lorenz Schlittenbauer. However, her father forbade the marriage, and the reason he did so, at least according to local rumor, was that he had more than an unhealthy obsession with his daughter. Following Victoria claiming Lorenz was the father of Joseph, claims he denied, by the way, Lorenz would offer that Andreas was, in fact, the father and reported the pair to the authorities, which led to the second charge for incestuous behavior between them. Things would take a further twist when Lorenz took back the denial several weeks later, insisting that he was indeed Joseph's father. So as we can see, these things were hardly what most of us would consider a normal life in the Gruber household. Much of this bizarre behavior was witnessed by the family's maid, Crescens Riga, who had quit her job at the farm in September 1921. However, not only would she tell of this strange family setup to the local villagers, but she also spoke of what she was convinced was paranormal activity at the farm. She claimed to have heard strange noises and even disturbing voices coming from out of nowhere in the Gruber household, as well as other unsettling spooky goings-on such as footsteps coming from empty rooms. And indeed, many of the townsfolk noted how visually disturbed Crescens looked upon arriving from the farm on the day she left. It wasn't only Crescens who spoke of such things either. Victoria, for example, often spoke to local residents of similar noises and voices at the farm, in particular, coming from the attic. Even stranger, after falling asleep one afternoon at school, Victoria's daughter, Kazilia, told her teacher she had done so because she was so tired from, quote, chasing her grandmother through the woods during the night. It's not at all clear what she meant by this, or even if it is connected to the strange happenings or the horrific upcoming events, but it is a strange detail that's perhaps worth keeping in mind. 
Andreas Gruber himself even claimed to have had strange experiences at the farm, including, incidentally, hearing footsteps in the attic. And when he searched the room, though, he could not find anybody there. Around a month before the murders, following a particularly bad snowstorm, Andreas was inspecting the farm buildings for any snow damage when he was met with a perplexing and chilling discovery. Coming from the direction of the nearby forest and heading toward the farm were footprints in the freshly fallen snow. However, a short distance from the main building, they simply stopped. No other footprints could be seen leading away from the farm or towards any of the farm buildings. It was as if whoever had made those footprints had simply vanished into thin air. If that wasn't strange enough, later that night, Andreas once more heard those noises and footsteps in the attic. And despite searching the space once more from top to bottom, nothing appeared to be out of place, and he could find nobody there. He couldn't even see any signs whatsoever that anyone had even been there. Regardless, these events and strange noises continued. The family finally found a replacement maid, and on the afternoon of Friday, March the 31st, 1922, Maria Baumgartner arrived at the Gruber home. With her was her sister, who, after a short stay at the farm while Maria settled in, returned home later that day. Although she didn't know it, she was the last known person to have seen her sister or the Gruber family alive, because four days later, they would be discovered dead clearly murdered in the most brutal fashion. The bodies of the Gruber family and their new housemaid were discovered on the afternoon of Tuesday, April 4th, after several concerned neighbours went to the farm to investigate. Not only had the family failed to show up at church on Sunday, this was something completely out of the norm, but little Kazilia had failed to arrive at school on Monday morning, causing locals to consider that something must be wrong. Lorenz Schlittenbauer, that's the same Lorenz Schlittenbauer who had denied being Joseph's father before retracting those denials, along with two other local men, Michael Pohl and Jacob Siegi, would venture to the farm to investigate. And they would be confronted by a scene that none of them were ever prepared for. Upon entering the main barn, the bodies of Andreas, his wife Casilia, and their daughter Victoria were discovered, piled on top of each other, while seven-year-old Casilia was discovered partially covered with straw nearby. Each had been killed by repeated blows to the head with what appeared to be a pickaxe or something very similar. After searching the main building and the farm, the bludgeoned body of two-year-old Joseph was found discovered in the cot. And while the housemaid Maria was found dead in her bed, seemingly the victim of a similar attack. Just what had happened to have led to these tragic, horrifying events was a complete mystery. It is known that only the day before the presumed date of death, on the morning of March 30th, the strange paranormal-like events were still happening. We know this because of a conversation that Andreas had with Lorenz, at least according to him. That morning, Andreas discovered a newspaper that was only available in Munich on his front porch. 
And not only was he certain that he hadn't bought or ordered it, but there had also been no sign that anyone had been anywhere near the property to even deliver it. And even stranger, on the same day, Andreas discovered a set of keys to the farm that were missing. Upon searching the grounds and farm buildings for them, he discovered several significant scratch marks on the lock to the tool shed, markings that were indicative of someone trying to pick the lock. The keys, incidentally, were never found. Initial examination suggested that all six people had met their untimely ends at some point on the Friday evening. It was later discovered that two coffee sellers had visited the Gruber property at some point between 12 noon and 12 p.m. on Saturday to take an order from the family, and they claimed to have walked around the property several times after their knocks went unanswered. They could see no sign of anyone and found all the doors to be locked. And later that evening, just before midnight, a local carpenter was returning home when he went by the farm and he clearly remembered the fire in the outside oven being lit, as well as the distinct smell of old rags being burned. He could also see what looked like a flashing light in the nearby woods, similar to a light that could come from a pocket lantern. Even more unsettling, as he watched, he could see the vague shape of a figure closing the oven door before turning and walking toward him. The figure shined a light directly at him, which caused the carpenter to flee the area as quickly as he could. Might that mysterious figure have been the killer? Around three hours later, at around 3 a.m. in the early hours of Sunday, April the 2nd, a local butcher was returning home when his journey also took him past the farm. He would later recall seeing two figures near the woodland at the edge of the property, and he stared at them, trying to figure out who they might be, but when they noticed him, they both turned in an effort to hide their faces. The following morning at 8.30am, on Monday, April the 3rd, the village postman, Joseph Mayer, also visited the property to deliver the Gruber's mail, and he would state that although it appeared that no one was home, it looked to him like the kitchen door was, quote, half open. He also didn't notice Joseph's pushchair through the kitchen window, something he almost always did see as he past. He didn't open the door to investigate, however. Instead, he left the mail on the kitchen windowsill before leaving. Early on the morning of Tuesday, April 4th, only hours before the horrific discoveries, a repairman arrived at the property to repair a food chopper engine. He completed the job in the yard before leaving, stating later that he didn't see any signs of life at the property and he simply assumed the family was out. There were, though, several other intriguing details about the murders that didn't quite add up. You know what's really frightful about the holiday season? It's when January comes round and you're filled with deep regret at the amount of junk you've devoured. Yeah, it's not easy to eat both well and healthily over the Christmas period. Until now, because Factor is going to put a spring in your step come January. Factor is America's number one ready-made meal kit, providing delicious and nutritious options for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You'll save time too, because let's face it, nobody wants to spend the holiday meals planning or battling for groceries at a busy store. And why do all the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up when Factor's chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals will appear magically on your doorstep? It's almost like Father Christmas himself delivers them. 
And whether we get snow or not this season, I love the way Factors meals are always fresh and never frozen. It's not just meals either. They have snacks, shakes and smoothies. With Factor, you might just get amazed by the holidays and have a legendary January too. So head to factormeals.com slash Frightful50 and use code Frightful50 to get 50% off. That's code Frightful50 at factormeals.com slash Frightful50 to get 50% off. Investigators initially suspected that the Grubers and their maid had been murdered as part of a planned burglary of the property. However, it was soon discovered that none of the jewellery or other valuables, including a large amount of cash, were missing, meaning burglary was a highly unlikely motive. But even stranger, several residents, while not seeing the Grubers, did claim to have seen smoke rising from their chimney throughout the weekend. Indeed, when the farm was investigated following the discovery of the bodies, it appeared as though someone had occupied the main house during this time, possibly even as late as the Monday and there were also reports from locals who claimed to have seen signs of movement at the farm, albeit from a distance. Stranger still, all of the animals and the livestock had been recently fed. Again, this suggests that someone was at the Gruber property in the days leading up to the grim discovery and had seemingly taken it upon themselves to see the animals remained in good health. But if that wasn't the Grubers at the farm, then who was it? Well, as you might expect, several suspects have come to light over the years. Perhaps we should first look at Lorenz Schlittenbauer. That's the same Lorenz Schlittenbauer who, along with Michael Pohl and Jacob Siege, had discovered the bodies of the Gruber family and their maid. And there are seemingly plenty of reasons to suspect him. Firstly, it was noted by Pohl and Siege that when the Gruber's dog was discovered tied up in the barn where the murders had seemingly taken place, while it was happy for them to approach it, it snarled violently when Schlittenbauer came near. It was also noted that he appeared to have a general detachment to the whole affair, as well as the fact that he ventured into the main house alone to make the discoveries of Joseph and Maria. Did he know they were there? This leads to the question as to why he had keys to the property in the first place. Were these the keys that Andreas was looking for in the days before his death? There were, of course, other matters that connected Schlittenbauer to the Gruber family and, in turn, provided a potential motive for the murders, not least whether he was Joseph's father or whether he had been paid to act as such. When it was discovered that Victoria had seemingly been planning legal action against him for child support, investigators became even more interested in him as a suspect. Ultimately, Schlittenbauer always denied the charges against him, and investigators did not produce any evidence whatsoever to show that he had anything to do with the killings. And so, perhaps at this point, we turn our attention back to Victoria's first husband, Carl Gabriel, who was killed in the First World War. We'll recall that although he had been declared officially dead, his body was never discovered. This led to suggestions that he had returned to the farm and had killed Victoria and her family in a jealous rage that Victoria had given birth to another man's child. There were, for example, several people who claimed to have seen Gabriel after his presumed death. 
with some even claiming he had informed them of his plans to go to Russia. Even more intriguing, years later at the end of the Second World War, when the Soviet Union released German prisoners of war, some of them spoke about a Soviet soldier who could speak fluent German. What's more, this soldier claimed to have been the person behind the killings at Hinterkaifeck Farm. Could Karl Gabriel really have survived the war and relocated to Russia? And if he was responsible for the killings, what caused him to return to the farm in the first place? Had he returned to uh, rekindle his marriage with Victoria, perhaps? Then he discovered that she had a child with, with another man. Had this caused him to begin plotting his revenge? At this point, it's worth noting that only Victoria and her daughter were fully dressed when they were discovered as if they had been ready to leave the property with all of the other victims being discovered in their night clothes. Might we suspect that whatever did happen that night, Victoria was getting ready to leave? Or was she planning to leave with her husband, who she had previously thought was dead? With this in mind, it's also worth noting that Victoria had withdrawn a significant amount of money from her bank account, in the days leading up to the murders, completely emptying it. This money, incidentally, has never been discovered or accounted for. Was it Gabriel, who the family had heard moving around in the attic? Was she planning to leave him, taking their daughter with her? Does this explain why Victoria and Cecilia were fully dressed? Or... As speculative as it might be, could there even have been an unknown secret lover? If Victoria had been planning to leave with the killer, whoever it was, what had happened that night that led them also being brutally murdered? While Schlittenbauer and even Carl Gabriel were perhaps the main suspects in the murder, there were several other people who investigators took an interest in, several of whom were named by the former maid, Crescens Riga. Following the murder, she suggested that a gentleman named Joseph Thaler and his brother could have been responsible for the killings. As well as the brothers being already known to authorities due to several petty crimes over the previous years, Riga offered that Thaler regularly arrived at the farm at night during the time she worked there, even approaching her bedroom window and asking her questions regarding who slept where in the house. She also suggested that Thaler had boasted on several occasions that he was aware of the large sums of money the family kept inside the property. However, given that nothing was taken from the family home, even though the killer or killers had ample time to search the property, Thaler was not actually treated seriously as a suspect. One of the most interesting leads surfaced half a century after the murders. In 1971, when a newspaper received a letter regarding the killings from a person calling themselves Therese T. In it, she said that not long after the murders, when she was only a young girl, a woman had visited her mother and informed her that her two sons, that's Carl and Andreas, had committed the murders. Ultimately, although the case was officially closed, police would eventually visit Therese in her apartment in Augsburg. Although certain aspects of her recollection were shaky, she ultimately provided the same account and even produced the notes her mother had made on the day of the conversation. One particularly interesting line in the notes read like this. It said, 
Andreas regretted that he lost his pocket knife. What's interesting is that a pocket knife had been discovered on the farm during its demolition in the years after the murders. That was a fact that wasn't publicized. Of course, who Carl and Andreas might have been, and if they did commit the murders, as well as why they might have done so, remains unknown. It is pretty interesting that there are two people mentioned here, given the fact that we know at least some of the witnesses recalled seeing two figures at the property on the presumed night of the murders. While the identity of the murderer remains unknown, what should we make of the paranormal elements of all of this? Just who or what was responsible for the footsteps that disappeared into nowhere in the snow? And just what were those strange sounds and footsteps coming from the attic? And what about the strange light that was witnessed in the woods? Was this the torch of one of the killers? Or could there be some kind of connection between it and Kazilia talking about chasing her grandmother through the woods at night? As unlikely as it might be, was the was the Gruber family involved in some sort of weird rituals or something that allowed forces from the other side to manifest on their property? In this instance, could it be that the collective belief in the powers of the devil played a part in the horrific murders at Hinterkaifeck Farm? Let me explain what I mean by that. We know, for example, that the region was a very hardline religious mindset of a place and that the goings-on behind the closed doors of the Gruber family could very well have been seen by the local community as the work of the devil and a very real manifestation of evil. Could it be possible, it's very speculative, could it be that one or more of the members of the community so convinced that the devil resided within their midst took matters into their own hands? We know there was a genuine dislike of the family in the village. Whether that dislike was enough to make someone kill is open to debate, but it's certainly not that much of a stretch of the imagination. Perhaps we will never know what happened on the Hinterkaifeck farm that night, and we can speculate as much as we like. But of course, there are people who did know, the victims themselves. And it makes you wonder, what, what did they see? What did they encounter? Was it simply a murder from a human assailant? Or was all of that paranormal activity leading up to a terrifying encounter with something beyond our imagination? Well, the thought of which, whatever the case, is frightful. I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to the Ghost Farm Murders on Frightful. Hey, thanks for listening to another Scary True Story on Frightful. If you have your own theories of what happened in this case, I'd love you to share them with me. You know, comment below and uh, let me know. And perhaps if you like the idea of having video content like this, because 
I've said before that this is normally an audio show and I'm experimenting with video. If you like that, please uh, like and subscribe and maybe share even. It just gives me the, the signal that you think it's worth doing. Um, but until then, if you want to check out my other stuff, check out peterlaws.co.uk or if you want access to a bunch of extras, including um, you know Zoom socials and all sorts of stuff, then go to patreon.com forward slash peterlaws. Uh, until then, uh, take care and just um, you know keep an eye out for what might be moving through the woods. Bye-bye.